0: Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That's a phrase from the Bible. It's from Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, it says, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Those of you who were on the Men's Vermont weekend last weekend know that that was our theme verse. We spent the whole weekend looking at that and studying it. And about halfway through the weekend, one of the guys on the trip, Rocco Abate, many of you know Rocco. He's this really Italian dude. He came up to me halfway through the weekend and he says, you stole my verse. That's my Rocco impersonation. He said, Pastor Nathan, you stole my verse. And uh, I said, what do you mean? And he said, that's my verse. And he showed me some pictures to describe what he meant. I'll show you the first one here. This is Rocco. He's a pipe fitter in the city. And this is his toolbox. Here's Rocco at work. And in order to know why he said I stole his verse, Colossians 3.23, let's zoom in a little bit on that toolbox. You see the picture of his beautiful children there on the left, Rocco Jr. and Cameron. Now let's zoom in even further. See what it says in a sharpie? On the inside of his toolbox, Colossians 3, 23 through 24, the full verse says this. says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I wanted to show this verse to you as we begin tonight our new sermon series. It's called A Theology of Work. So for the next four Sundays, we'll be trying to understand God's theology of work. When we leave this place and go to our workplaces Monday through Saturday, what's God's intentions for us? How do we use our work as worship? Tonight, we're going to be looking at this Genesis text to try to understand God's design for work, God's plan for work. And uh, we're offering this book by Tim Keller. It's called Every Good Endeavor. Our sermon series will be roughly following this book. If you want to read it, you can find it online. We'll have some copies next week here. But chapters 1 through 4 are similar to the message you're going to hear tonight. So we recommend this to you. Your pastors recommend this to you as a corollary study on this uh, sermon series. A theology of work. And tonight we're asking the question, what is God's design? What's God's plan for the work of our hands? And we see in this Genesis text that he has laid out a design. He has shown us, firstly, what he has done. And in this text, we see that God works. God works. Not only that, God rests. God works and God rests. Let's read again chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, to see how God works and God rests. Here's what it says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. A Bible scholar will tell you that when a phrase is repeated like that three times, it's like putting an exclamation point in the Hebrew text. It says, God worked and then he rested in a seven-day work week, a seven-day week that includes a day of rest. God is showing us a pattern for how he works. And if we think about this a little bit, it might seem strange that God, omnipotent God, would need to rest. Why does God rest? Just think about the absolute enormity of God for a moment. You know how big our planet is? He made it. How big our solar system is? He made it. Our galaxy, the entire universe, God made all of that. Does God need, does God get tired? Does God need to rest? Well, no, he's he's doing something else here. He's modeling for us. He's showing us how he wants us to operate. He's creating us, he has created us, and so he's modeling for us how to work for a certain time, six days, and then to finish our work and rest. That's what God is showing us how to do here. It's kind of like he's he's a designer, and he's designing not just a space, like a physical space, like an interior designer, but he's designing our week. A good interior designer knows how to set up a room so that when people walk into it, they can, they can thrive, they can live well, they can relax, or whatever the design of the room is. God has done that, not in a physical space, really, although he does design the physical space. But in this sense, he's designed time. He's designed the work week. It's like the people who set up this room for us to worship every week. You know, we could, if we wanted to, just leave it as a boxing gym. You know, and we could come in and worship here, but it wouldn't be quite as conducive for worship, would it? We wouldn't have the altar table up here. This was intentionally chosen and placed here. The way the chairs are seated, this cross as a focal point. Someone came in and designed, actually Adrian is the first person who came and thought about how to design this space for worship, so that when we come in here, we can best worship God. God, in the same way, has been a designer of the work week for us. He created us. He knows how we operate. He knows he wants us to work for six days to finish our work and then to set one day apart and to simply reflect, to enjoy the fruit of our labor, to have repose where we pause for 24 hours and remember that he's God. He's the one who has done the work first. And for us. So this is how God has designed us to work. To work for a time and to rest because as we see here, God worked in creation and also God rested. But there's more to it than just that. God works and God rests, but in his grace, he involves us in his work. God involves us in his work and he gives us True rest. God involves us in his work. Let's read about that firstly. It's uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Here's what it says Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit speaking to one another within the Trinity. Talking about creating you and me. So God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Keep going, John. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful. And multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, John, keep it on this slide for a moment. There are about a thousand different sermons that could be preached on what I just read. There's a stack of books probably this high on the image of God. But for this particular sermon series, for this particular sermon in it, We're going to zoom in and focus just on the one phrase, one little phrase in here that's going to help us understand this concept that God works and God rests, but God also involves us in his work. And the phrase is right there in the middle of the screen, really. It says, have dominion, have dominion. Theologically, this is called the dominion mandate. You can learn about that in seminary. Have dominion, God says. What does that mean? What does it mean that God calls his people to have dominion? And that's a way of him inviting us into his work. You can think of the Latin word dominus, which means Lord. God is talking about us having lordship, us having authority over the created order that he made, under his authority. Now this is dominion, so this is care. This is what the Bible calls cultivation, God is being very fruitful in creation and he turns to people and he says, now you be fruitful, have dominion over the fruit that I'm growing, control it and have authority over it. But he he invites us to do it in a way that has the best interest of the people or the things that we have dominion over in mind. Not just our own self-interest, but the best interest of those over whom we have authority. Let me put it this way. What would be the difference if God had said, instead of have dominion, if God had said, have domination? It's a similar word. But he says, have dominion. You will have things you're in charge of, whether it's a household or a workplace. Maybe it's a whole team of people that call you boss. Small business owners have much dominion. Whatever it is that we have, if you're unemployed, you have dominion over trying to get yourself a job, and you have responsibilities, you have people in your life that you have dominion over. If you're retired, you have dominion. You have a domain over which God has given you authority, again, to operate in the best interest of the things and people you have authority over, not to dominate them, That would be just operating in my own self-interest. But God says, have dominion. This is how God operates when he works in creation. He bears much fruit. He creates things. And guess what? He has our best interest in mind. He's not a dominator. He's not a dictator. And he invites us when he involves us in his work to have dominion, to cultivate. But not only that, God has involved us in his work, but he has also given us true rest. He's given us true Sabbath. I want to explain what I mean by that. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 2 to see this pattern again. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. As I said before, God is establishing a pattern. He's establishing a design that not only he asks us to follow, he created us to follow. In the Ten Commandments, it says, in six days you shall do all your work, you shall finish all your work, and on the seventh day you shall set it apart and make it holy. And it says, for even God rested on the seventh day. So it's a command that he gives us. But then this pattern is embodied in the work of jesus christ this pattern of working for six days and resting on the seventh is embodied in the saving work of jesus christ i want you to get this so think about when jesus came into jerusalem for what we now call his holy week where he entered into jerusalem on the donkey and he did lots of acts of ministry that that week he was working he did the last supper with his disciples Then he was captured by the Roman authorities, and he was beaten, he was flogged, he was mocked, and he was hung on the cross. Can you see him writhing there? Sweating? Bleeding? What's he doing there? He's working. He's working for our salvation. And on the Jewish work week, Friday afternoon is when you conclude your work because Saturday is the Sabbath. And what was the last thing Jesus said as he worked for us on the cross? It is finished. finished. He was finishing the work for our salvation. And then he died and they took his body and they laid him in the tomb. And for the whole Sabbath day, he lay in repose. He didn't work on the Sabbath. He was following this pattern. And then on the new work day, on Sunday morning, which would be the first day of the week, he arose and he started a new work, a resurrection work. And that's the work he invites us into. Now, this is really important to understand, that God works and God rests. God involves us in his work, but God has afforded for us true Sabbath. Because if we don't get this piece, if we don't get this idea that Jesus finished the work necessary for our salvation, we will go on striving with our work. We'll go on trying to earn his approval. And if you ever are working so hard, you're trying to earn someone's approval, you know how exhausting that is. It makes you a slave, actually. A slave to your work, a slave to your boss. Some people even think they have to be slaves to God to try to impress him to get into heaven or something like that. It's not like that. He's done the work necessary for our reward. John, can you put the Colossians passage back up there that we started with? You see what this says? This understands the freedom of knowing that he's done the work necessary for us, that we're no longer slaves. Here's what it says. Whatever you do, work heartily, ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Do you know who receives an inheritance? Children of God. Who earns the inheritance that you receive? Not you. It's an inheritance. You get it now? Jesus finished the work necessary for our salvation so that he could give us the most precious inheritance of all. This inheritance is coming our way no matter how much you succeed or fail at your job. So therefore, work heartily. Work your hearts out, not because you're trying to earn his favor or his salvation, but because he's already earned it for you, and he has designed us to work, to operate in his kingdom, to have dominion, to cultivate, to operate in the best interest of those around us. God works, God rests, God invites us into his work, and he has given us true rest. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts.